0: Hello everyone, my name is Andy Summers, and welcome to episode 25 of Reviving the Soul. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elassa, Kedaleomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings made war with Beirah, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemever, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is, Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is, the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Kederleomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedaleomer and the kings who were with him came and defeated Raphaim and Ashtroth karnaim the Zuzim and Ham, the Ebmim and shavet Kerathaim, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir as far as El-Paran on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En-Misfat, that is, Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is, Zoar, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Sidim with Kedeleomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elasar. Four kings against five. And the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Escal and Aner. These were allies of Abram, and when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house three hundred and eighteen of them, and they went in pursuit as far as Dan, and he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them to Hobah north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions, and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions, and the women, and the people. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shabbath, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner and Eskol and Mamre take their share. Genesis 14. The first time the Bible ever mentions war is within these verses. It is within this chapter that Lot finds himself caught in the middle of a regional conflict, a civil war, if you will, and although Abram had been set apart by God, he was still in the world and was affected by the events that happened around him. The war mentioned in this chapter was not just a small skirmish. This was a rebellion of five city-states against four Mesopotamian kingdoms. The way in which Moses records this epic battle seems to imply that he is using a foreign document to inform at least the first half of his account. Since there is very little detail given on behalf of the rebellion, this foreign document probably came from one of the victorious kingdoms in Mesopotamia. Now here's basically what happened. A king from the northeast near Babylon named Keterleomer had defeated and ruled over the city-states in the Transjordan near the Salt Sea for about 12 years. These city-states, which included Sodom and Gomorrah, were tired of being ruled by a foreign power and, in an attempt to throw off the yoke of a dictator, the Transjordan city-states formed a confederacy and declared their independence. This obviously kindled Keterleomer's wrath. He immediately called for his allies to mobilize their armies and prepare for an invasion of Canaan. A year later, Kederleomer's three primary allies from Mesopotamia and Asia Minor marched south to invade and conquer the land that had been promised Abram and crushed the rebellion in the Transjordan. Kederleomer began his campaign by first conquering the Confederacy's northern allies in Ashtaroth, Ham, and Shaved, after which they traveled south and defeated the Horites, the Amorites, and the Amalekites, effectively removing any threat from the Confederacy's southern allies and cutting off their trade route to Egypt. This left the confederacy completely surrounded and alone. There was no option for reinforcement. Keterleomer and the confederacy then met in battle in the tar pit ridden valley of Sodom. Keterleomer and his allies achieved absolute victory. Much of the confederacy fled into the hill country while others fled into the tar pits during the retreat. They traded one death for another. Now Keterleomer then pillaged and captured the possessions and the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah, including Lot and his family, and then they began their trek back to their own countries. The rebellion had been crushed. Their mission was accomplished. They had nothing else to worry about. However, unbeknown to Ketileomer's force, a man secretly escaped capture and ran to Hebron to inform Abram of the battle and the unfortunate capture of his beloved nephew. Abram, who had recently settled at the Oaks of Mamre, had made treaties with Mamre and his two brothers and were loyal to one another as allies. Now, without hesitating, Abram immediately recruited 318 of his own servants and then called for his three allies to join forces and pursue Keterlium, defeat him, bring back the possessions, Lot, and all those whom they had enslaved from Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Abram's allies answered his call to arms and marched in pursuit of the enemy. After riding 120 miles north, they caught up to the Mesopotamian force. Under the cover of darkness, Abram divided his forces into two divisions. Each division would attack from opposite sides. Once Abram's men were in place, they launched a full-scale attack and achieved absolute surprise. Ketelamr's force would have been totally confused in the midst of the darkness and fled, leaving their spoils of war behind. Abram's two divisions chased Ketelamr's force all the way to Hoba, north of Damascus, and out of the land of Canaan. Abram proved himself to be a very capable military commander and tactician, which resulted in an unbelievable victory. Abram and his allies recaptured all that had been pillaged, including Lot and his family, and began his journey back home. Abram had acted as a king, as was his right, by divine appointment. This land did indeed belong to him and his descendants, and when he heard of the Transjordan defeat, he drew his sword and led his men into glorious battle. Now we must ask ourselves, Where did this courage come from? Was Abram a man of war? Had he ever fought a battle in his life? All he had was what God had given him, his faith. Abram was beginning to trust the truth that no matter what happened, God was sovereign and would be faithful to do all that he had promised. The courage that Abram discovered was not within himself, but in the faith that God had given him. Now on Abram's way back, he was given a kingly welcome by the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. The king of Salem's name was Melchizedek, and he had prepared a banquet for Abram with bread and wine. Now, Melchizedek is an interesting and very mysterious character in the Bible. Melchizedek means righteous. This is the only historical account of his existence. He only appears in this chapter of the Bible and then disappears from the pages of history. There are many theories as to who Melchizedek is. Perhaps Melchizedek is actually a title and not really a name. There are those who believe that his true identity is actually Shem, the son of Noah, and he is given the name righteousness. Since he is the king of Salem, which means peace, then he would be the king of peace and righteousness. Because of this, some also say that this is an early appearance of Christ. Now, the writer of Hebrews uses Melchizedek's non-Levitical priesthood as an example of how Jesus could be the high priest, even though he came from the line of Judah and not from Levi, for he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I personally do not believe that Melchizedek is a Christophany or somehow the son of Noah. There's simply not enough biblical evidence to support such a claim. I believe that Melchizedek was simply a descendant of Canaan, Ham's son. But instead of being caught up in the same idolatry and wickedness as the rest of the Canaanites, Melchizedek had come to worship and serve the one true God. Melchizedek was not only a king, but he was also a priest of God Most High. The king of Sodom and Melchizedek are another study in contrast one being a righteous priest king of God, and the other a king of a wicked people. Melchizedek saw Abram's victory as a divine achievement. Meanwhile, the king of Sodom as an achievement of man, Abram in particular. Now, because Abram's victory was indeed miraculous, it would have been easy for Abram to take credit for his urgency and his cunning, and it is here where his faith will be tested yet again. After Melchizedek blesses Abram and declares God's victory through him, Abram humbly offers a tenth of all that he had to Melchizedek, recognizing that all he has belongs to God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Abram believed that Melchizedek was greater than he, not in worth or dignity, but because of the office by which God had appointed him. By giving him a 10th of everything, Abram was honoring that which God had sovereignly bestowed upon this mysterious king of Salem. Meanwhile, when the king of Sodom offered Abram a reward for rescuing his people, giving him all the possessions that he had acquired, Abram declined Sodom's offer saying, I will not take anything, lest it be said that it is because of the king of Sodom that I am made rich. Abram wanted God to receive all the glory and praise due him. Moses is being very intentional to show us the supernatural character development of Abram. Abram was a man who came from a pagan land, the very land that had just invaded Canaan. And while in Egypt, Abram was tested and failed with his apathetic attempt to assist God in his plans. But now, We see that the Holy Spirit is truly changing Abram into the father of many nations. The faith that is developing within Abram is unparalleled apart from Christ. And we see in Abram's zeal and love for his nephew, who had so selfishly chosen the Jordan Valley in spite of Abram's generosity, the mind of Christ. Lot not only pitched his tents near Sodom, he eventually moved into the city, allowing his family to be exposed to the great wickedness that was being done before the Lord. Lot had done nothing to warrant Abram's actions. Abram could have very well chosen to do nothing. Lot had made his choice, and it would be an inconvenience to rescue him. But just as Christ pursues his lost sheep and fights off the wolves and beasts that would devour them, so Abram pursued Lot and defeated those who would harm that which belongs to him. Christ is our king, he is our shepherd, and it is he who fights and has died for that which he loves. And in glorious victory, he rose from the dead, defeating all that intends to harm what is rightfully is Thank you for listening to this episode of Reviving the Soul. If you would like to leave a donation, you may follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you would like to contact me or ask any questions, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Psalm19 Revive. And don't forget, if you are listening on iTunes, leave a five-star rating and review. This Thursday, we will begin our new segment that I am calling Theology Thursdays. This week, we will be discussing the doctrine of Scripture. Don't forget to join me, and don't forget to apply all of Scripture to all of life.